Good morning and welcome to Friday morning, July the 21st in 2023 on When I Rise. Today we come to the end of year A, proper week 11, which is the eighth Sunday after Pentecost. And on the Friday of the week, we like to take a look at the gospel passage, which comes to us from this week from the Revised Common Lectionary in this week of the church's calendar year. And so we find ourselves back in the gospel of Matthew, back to Matthew 13, Matthew 13, verses 24 through 30, and then jumping ahead to verses 36 through 43. So let me read that passage. We've got a couple points for reflection, and then we'll spend our time praying along the theme that we find there. Thanks for making us part of your morning on When I Rise. Let's allow our souls to rise and meet God together in a time of prayer. Matthew chapter 13, verses 24 through 30, and then verses 36 through 43. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. Then the servants asked him, Do you want us to go up and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both of them grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. Then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one, and the enemy sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The son of man will send out his angels, and they will weed out out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. This is the word of God for us. All right, so I think there are a couple things going on here and how this passage can be used. And so... Just hear me out and like like normal, like you could just take what I say with a grain of salt and live your own life. It's totally fine. But it is true that Jesus is speaking of a definitive judgment. And Jesus is a, a Jewish person, a Jewish teacher, a rabbi in his time. And there's a lot of things that uh, needed to be addressed. And there's this anticipation among he and his contemporaries that God was going to do something. That he wasn't just going to let the world uh, wind into oblivion, but it was going to be put back together. And in the process... Uh, there's going to be people who stand in righteousness and those who stand in judgment. And so here Jesus gives a parable of judgment. Now, it's just worth noting that uh, this parable is it's, it's situated towards the front end of his parable ministry. And even though it's not an exact science, um, Matthew seemed to be arranging his parables in a certain way. And uh, just for argument's sake, Robert Farrakhan, who's who was a great teacher of the Bible, he said, really, the the judgment parables pick up towards the end. Now, it's not saying that Jesus didn't 
say this. He, he of course, all believe that Jesus uh, read, said this parable, taught this parable. He probably taught it many times, right? And it's also true that um, Matthew had his hands uh, at his disposal, all the teachings of Jesus. And uh, there are certain things that Matthew does in order to kind of hone them and to craft them for his unique ministry moment. Um, and there's a lot of argument and debate about what exactly was Matthew's moment. Was it before or after the fall of Jerusalem in AD 70? Um, it seems that he's um, he's poised his gospel to address those in uh, the lost house, lost house of Israel, those who had wandered away from this saving opportunity in Jesus. And so he wants to uh, send a good word. He wants to uh, bear the good news to them in a fresh new way. And so uh, Robert Farrar Capon says that uh, the parables in Matthew's gospel go from kingdom to grace to judgment. So it is kind of odd. It's a, it's a different tenor. It's almost like he, um, if Jesus did speak it this early um, in, in the story, um, maybe it was to just lay the track word for some other judgment type of parables uh, that he'll you know do at the end of the uh, of the uh, the parable ministry that he has. And we also see that um, there, there's a sense, and this is where like um, really finite observant scholarship this makes some observations about the text. So for instance, uh, there's a parable that um, Jesus says uh, that Matthew includes in Matthew 18, and it comes on the heels of Peter asking a question, how often he should forgive? Seven times, and Jesus said 77 times. And then Jesus, from that, tells his parable about two people who owe debts, and the guy who owed a lot of, a lot of debt, he's let off scot-free, scot free, but then he turns around and he prosecutes a person who owed him a minuscule amount, and the king who forgave the guy with the big amount hears about it, and he throws him back, and he, and he prosecutes him, right? And uh, the punchline is, is, hey, you need to um, forgive from the heart like God forgives you, or else uh, you're going to be left out in the cold as well. It's just interesting to note that that parable situated there, it kind of works in a theopoetic way, but I mean, Jesus just gave a teaching on forgiving over and over again. And then he tells a parable of like, nobody's forgiving more than one time. I mean, in fact, the kingly character, uh, you might even equate it to God, doesn't forgive, but just one time. And then he goes on its course. And so some, um, just some scholarship that looks not just about the, the preaching use of the text, but the academic study of the text. It's say, hey, this is interesting. I mean, Matthew's story still lands. It still impresses upon people to be people who forgive again and again, don't forgive sometimes and prosecute other times. And so it does play into the general idea. But when you look at it as a whole and you zoom out, you're like, oh my gosh, like that, maybe that parable was meant for something else, right? And the same can be said about the very last parable in Matthew 25, where um, there's this separating of the sheep and the goats, right? And the beautiful thing about that story is that uh, the people who serve who go visit the king in prison, who clothe the naked, who feed the hungry and give water to those who are thirsty. Um, you know, they did that without any compulsion. They just simply did it. And they were surprised when the king says, you actually did that unto me. Right. And so um, scholars, once again, not those who are crafting sermons, but they're trying to give an academic reading of the text, trying to figure out where Matthew is getting at with this. They just notice how then at the very end, after that parable's done, Jesus gives like this sharp, um, this sharp warning to those who aren't out there helping that um, they're going to be left to the side. And so on the parable you know, has this idea of this beautiful, like without compulsion, we just do these things because they're the right thing to do. But then Jesus is like, Hey, I'm going to give you this uh, command and this compulsion to do these things. Okay. All that say, what can we conclude? 
Jesus said all these things. Matthew's word is helpful and true. It's part of the word of God. We affirm it. We hold it high. And because it's there in front of us, we get to ask some of these interesting questions about the text. So uh, we could do that here in, uh, in Matthew 13. Um, this is a unique thing because Jesus comes on the back end to his disciples and he gives them all these, once again, like allegorical notes about what item is. He only, only does this one other time when he does the, the parable of the soils. And so some scholars say, hey, Jesus is talking about final judgment. He's done it before. We don't we won't need, need to argue about that. But there's also a sense where this parable could be used uh, for a, another reason. And um, I've I preached a sermon a long time ago. This is something that really weighed upon me because I think one of the things that I think about as a Christian in a very uh, complex world and society like ours, where um, we do need to act and think and behave as Jesus wants us to act, think and behave. And uh, a lot of issues out there are quite complicated and it doesn't seem like uh, the direct confrontation of one another who disagree is amounting to much anymore. I think it's still important work to delineate what we think versus what others think. I think that's good for us and it's good for the people who count on us to think clearly about some of the contours and currents within our world. Um, but one of the things that I enjoy about this parable, I think maybe a secondary teaching, primary teaching is, is judgment and finality of all things. Okay, we hold on to that. That's historic Christian teaching. Okay, so that's true. And the, the owner of this field had many other options of responding to this attack against his field. Um, but instead of, of uh, taking matters into his own hands and getting drastic about it, he allowed the slow, patient work of the outworking of his plan. And you could have imagined, if we could just kind of think further into the story, that... Um, you know, this enemy would have been eager to watch all of his workers like meticulously walking out into the field and trying their best to avoid the good stock of wheat by pulling out the weeds and, you know, trampling the good uh, wheat uh, because of it and laughing his face off uh, because of this plan that he has. Or he maybe would have enjoyed going down to the town square to see if there's any court cases on the docket schedule to see this landowner trying to find out exactly who did this and falsely accusing all of his neighbors until he loses all of his friends and his notoriety in that community. But instead, he launches a, what I call a counter-confusion. Um, the landowner woke up and he was confused. He knew this was an enemy. Um, but he probably has some questions of why did this happen? And why did, why is this happening to me and not to somebody else? And who did this, right? Um, but he just settled in his heart. The best way to do this is to launch a counter confusion, to do the opposite things of what's been expected of him. It was expected for him to be furiously wor working within the field and trying to pull out the weeds so the good stuff can grow. It was expected that he would try to bring prosecution to somebody. So when he didn't, maybe it was this subtle peacemaking sign to his enemy that surely walked by the field to see what was going on. And the sign was, hey, I don't hold this against you. Uh, whatever we have against one another, let's settle it and let's move on and be peaceful. I just think it's a, a, a neat reading of this parable as well. Um, understanding that uh, Jesus probably told these stories for many occasions, Matthew saw this as an opportunity to talk about final judgment. It was important for his people to know that. It's important for us to know that. But don't you think this other like lesson can be said as well? That... Um, it's important for us. And maybe it like directly correlates with our view of the last judgment that we don't have to take matters into our own hands, but God judges justly. God responds accordingly. And so we can leave these matters into his hands and, and really only deal with what we can know we can deal with. Uh, there's a, a, one of our best public theologians is Miroslav Volf. 
And uh, he grew up in Croatia. He saw uh, tremendous hardships given to the church. And uh, one of the things that he said is it's important to have a view of the end time judgment because it prevents you from taking matters into your own hands. And um, maybe that's hard for us to believe. We have we have the good life here in most of the parts of our world in uh, Christian America. Um, we don't have people harassing us uh, quite vividly like people do in other parts of the world. And so I think that um, there could be a temptation for us to wonder why would God ever do this you know drastic judgment against people? Um, this seems like a, a bad thing for God to do, right? Um, but then for those who suffer at the hands of people who are just relentless, who don't show any sign of remorse, but take life and they take property and they uh, viciously harm people, it's actually quite an operative belief to have to allow the, the vengeance to be God's and not to be ours and to take the patient road like the landowner in this story. So, hey, listen, I've like gone way over my time here. And I'm sorry, this one's a little bit longer than normal, but there's just a lot of things to say, a lot of things to unpack. So two governing ideas. There is going to be a final judgment. And so we've got to sift through that in our own life. And the second thing is the one that here and now and like between now and then, can we can we be patient? Can we be calm and cool headed? And can we refuse to take matters into our own hands and to look for retaliation? But can we trust that vengeance is God's and he will judge justly and calmly according to the measure it's been dealt out to us and to others? So those things in mind, let's spend some time praying to our God this morning. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I rejoice in who you are today. And as we allow our souls to rise to meet you, we thank you that uh, you give us a way to live and something to look forward to. We thank you that you are going to put the world to rights. And we thank you that we can trust you because you're the God who sees all things with impartiality. And uh, you will weigh the hearts and minds of all people and you'll make it all right. And so we thank you that even though we can um, grow faint and be anxious about today and tomorrow, we thank you that you hold it all together. And so... We pray that that would uh, reach out to us and allow us to be held together. And as we do so, um, help us to find the patient way, uh, the one that refuses to take matters into your own hands, the one that trusts in your um, enduring faithfulness and how you're the trustworthy God that we can count on. And so, Lord, this day, for any thorny issues or complicated scenarios we find ourselves and we feel so anxious about what we should do next, I pray that you'd speak to us, allow that spirit of grace to uh, animate our, our minds, to animate our speech and our hearts so that we can, um, in all things, um, do the things that Jesus would want us to do in the way that Jesus would do them himself. And so we ask for your help today. In that regard, we ask in Jesus' name, amen.